Well, today we're gonna wrap up this series we've been in for the last few weeks called Big Questions. And I'm gonna start today with an English lesson. Isn't that exciting? You're really, really excited? If, if you love English, you're like, yes, you know, for most of us, I, mean, I struggled with English, you're thinking like, oh, yeah. So maybe you remember a few terms from your English classes. Anybody remember the, the term a synonym? A synonym is just, you know, two different words that, that mean something similar. Uh, maybe you remember this word antonym, um, words that mean the opposite of others. But how many of you remember this word? It's what I'm going to talk to you about today for just a moment, a homonym. Remember what this means? I wouldn't either, I would have to like look it up, right? But a, a homonyms are this. They're words that are spelled and pronounced exactly the same, but they have, can have different meanings, right? So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna give you a couple homonyms, all right? And I'm gonna test you. I'm gonna have you think about when I give you this word, which can have different meanings, I want you to just think about the first thing that pops in your mind. I'm gonna give you a few different meanings and definitions and I just want on every campus, just raise your hand when I say the definition you first thought of. You ready? Ready for this? Little test. The first word is the word fly. Okay, the word fly. Now, immediately, did you think about like flying in the sky, flying? How many of you thought fly like in the sky? Okay. How many of you thought the insect, the fly? Everybody? So more, got it. Now, this third one, I don't even know how to say this, but how many of you thought like, that guy's outfit looks fly. Like that, anybody, anybody think that? If you were raised in the 70s, maybe you thought that, right? Uh, how about this one, the word date. Did anybody think about something you eat? A date, a couple of you. How many of you thought about something you haven't been on in a while, all right, with that special someone? Some of you are like, I need a date, you know? Um, how about, uh, here's, here's one more. How about the word ring, ring? How many of you thought about like something that you might hear a ring in your, in your ears or, you know, like when, pastor, when you preach, sometimes my ears ring, you know, I don't know. Um, how many of you thought about uh, something that goes on your finger, the ring? Yeah, thought about that. Be honest. How many of you thought about the ring doorbell you have on your house? I know some of us, isn't that, isn't it crazy? The point is this, is that these words, all of us have a, have a different meaning sometimes that pops in our mind. We we know that can happen. So today, I wanna to talk to you about this word, the word church. Now, you don't have to say anything out loud, and I won't ask you to vote, but just right now for you personally, what's the first thing that pops in your mind when you think about the definition, what is the church? What pops in your mind? For some of you, it may be a building, like where, where we come you know, to, to worship, some of you, it may, it may be the music or the message. That's what you think about when you think about church. Maybe you think about an organization or a denomination for those of you that were, you know, maybe raised in a denominational setting. Some of you may think about people. And that could be a, a good thing because you've had a good experience with people at church. Or it could even be a negative thing for those of you that have really had you know, maybe a negative experience or you've been hurt by the church. What I believe with everything inside of me is this. Your definition of the church for you would be either the single or maybe the greatest factor in your life in whether you will move forward in your faith or whether you'll get stuck in your faith. Your definition of meaning of what is the church so what I wanna to talk to you about today as we wrap up our big question series is this question. 
do I really need the church? Like, do you, do you need the church? Or can you just kind of operate as an individual all alone? You don't, even, you don't even need the church at all. And we know this is a relevant question because um, studies have been done, and one just recently where they even asked Americans, they said, um, can you be a, a, a really good Christian and not go to church at all? And 80% of people said yes. Is that true? Do you actually even need the church? That's what I wanna to talk to you about today. And I think the, the question to answer that, we have to start with just a foundational question first. If we ever wanna answer, do you actually really need the church? We have to actually first answer this question. What is the church? What is the church? Now, what I do usually for some time over the summer is I will get away and do like a study break. I'll get away for a little bit of time and I will begin to study God's word. I'll begin to pray and just vision cast into the future about what God has for our church, what we need to teach on in the next year and just where we need to go. And so last summer was a little difficult because of everything going on, but I got away for a little period of time. And what I did is I went to Washington, D.C., I was one of, over the summer, there wasn't a whole lot of people in Washington, D.C., wasn't a whole lot to see, but the reason I went there is there was only one museum open in all of Washington, D.C. It was the Bible Museum. If you've never been to the Bible Museum, it's a brand new museum that's opened up in just the last few years. It is incredible. I would challenge you to make that a priority to get to the Bible Museum at some point but it is just so dynamic and so powerful. So what I did every day when I was in Washington, D.C. is I would walk or ride a bike to the Bible Museum. I would spend all day in the museum just studying and praying. And then I would go back to my hotel room and I would get out my computer and my journal and I would just start journaling and studying some more and praying and just answering the question, God, what are you telling me? And one day when I was sitting there, uh, one night, I just felt like God prompted me in a really powerful way to begin studying every place in scripture that the word church is mentioned. To really, really dive deep on this idea and this understanding of the church. And so I looked at every single place in the New Testament the word church is used. 117 times this word church is used in the New Testament. And what God did through this time was so powerful and so rich in my life. I just want to share a little bit with you today. What is the church? The word church used 117 times. Every single time it is used in the New Testament, it is a specific Greek word, one Greek word that's used, and it's the Greek word ekklesia. Okay? Ekklesia. Now I want us to say that out loud together. Just have some fun with it. Just say ekklesia. Ready? Ecclesia. Say it one more time. Ecclesia. It's a Greek word, all right? And here's what it literally means. This is exactly what it means. It means a physical assembly or gathering of people with a shared purpose. But here's one of the most crazy things as you study the word ecclesia in scripture, all right? What we know is the word ecclesia isn't even a biblical term. Did you know that? The word ecclesia is just a Greek term that was used all throughout Greek culture to just represent a physical gathering of people with a shared purpose. And what the church did is they took this term to refer to 
a physical gathering of people worshiping Jesus. But even in scripture, out of these 117 times the church is, this word is used in scripture, it's not even used as a, as a representation of people worshiping Jesus every single time in scripture. It's just a Greek word of a physical gathering. Now, 95% of the time, the term in the New Testament is used to refer to what we would consider church, a gathering of people worshiping Jesus. But let me show you just one example where it's not used for people worshiping Jesus. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is traveling all across the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches. He comes to a city called Ephesus that you can still visit today. In the ancient city of Ephesus, they've, they've kind of preserved this ancient city. So it's an incredible place to visit. And in Ephesus, what Paul does is he's preaching Jesus, but he's preaching Jesus to a point where people stop following some of the Greek gods, specifically his Greek god Artemis, who had a temple there. And the city kind of becomes in an uproar because of Paul preaching Jesus. So the city riots against Paul. The whole entire city, it says in Acts chapter 19, gathers together in an outdoor theater in Ephesus that you can still visit today. This is a picture of what it looks like. I've been there personally. You can stand in the midst of this huge outdoor theater. And so the whole city would have been there, which means there was hundreds and thousands of people gathered. They were trying to you know, get Paul and his companions to get in there and try to beat him or stone him or kill him. And so it says in Acts chapter 19, when the whole city gathered there, it says this, the assembly... It's just a gathering of people. The ecclesia was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. <laughs> I like this. Most people didn't even know why they were there. That sounds like the raging party. Some of you were at last Saturday night, you know? But listen, this wasn't a gathering of people following Jesus. It was just a physical gathering of people, an ecclesia. Now watch the exact same term used just a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter 11. Watch this. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, that's, that's Paul before he changed his name, met with the church, ecclesia, same exact word, and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So what happened? As the church is birthed, they began physical gatherings gathering together, and they had a physical gathering here in Antioch, and it's just called an ecclesia. So what can we learn about the church, the true definition of the church, from this word ecclesia that's used over and over and over and over again? One is we can learn this. The church isn't a building. The church is not a building. In fact, what is the church? It's just a gathering of people physically together, which means this, the church is never less, listen, never less than a physical gathering of multiple people on mission for Jesus. <laughs> it's never an individual alone, ever. I started thinking about this and I thought this, you can't even say out of your mouth, listen, this wouldn't even make sense, I am the church. You can't use the word I as an individual in the church. What can we say? We are the church because we are a gathering of people worshiping Jesus. So it is never less than a physical gathering. But listen, while it's never less than a physical gathering, it's always more. 
Always more than a physical, physical gathering. Why? Because when we gather, we don't just gather physically, we gather to do some things. We're called to do some things as a church. In fact, when the church was birthed, in Acts chapter two, Jesus has died. He just has risen from the grave. And when the church is birthed in Acts chapter two, listen to what we're told the church is to do. This is the very beginning of the church. Acts chapter two, verse 42 says this, and all the believers were gathered together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with each other, to sharing of meals, that's the Lord's Supper, that's communion, what we just did right before I walked on stage to preach, and to prayer. These four things don't make everything we do at church, but they make up the foundation of what we do at church. What do we do? We come together to hear God's word, what's happening right now, the teaching. We come together for fellowship together. We come together to, to remember during communion the most significant event in human history, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and we come together for, to pray. This is the church. This is the church. So what is the church? What is the church? The church, very simply, is a gathering of people on mission for Jesus. That's the church. The question is, do you need the church? Do you need the church or can you just operate as an individual on your own, living out your faith? Because I'm telling you, that's what you hear sometimes, right? You hear people say, well, I believe in Jesus and I'm trying to follow Jesus, but I don't really go, I don't need the church, I don't go to church, I just kind of do my own thing. Can you do that? Is, that? is that a biblical thing to do? Now, I have some experience with this personally because I wanna be really transparent with you. There was a time that I decided, me personally, I didn't need the church. And let me tell you when it happened for me. It happened my freshman year of Bible college. What happened is, is I grew up going to church and being a part of a church every single week. My family was in church. We did not miss ever. We were always a part of the church. When I became a freshman in Bible college, I moved away from home, moved out of state, and for the very first time, I had to decide, do I need the church? And I decided I didn't. And here's why. I was in Bible college, and all my classes, I'm studying the Bible all day long, and I decided, if I'm studying the Bible all day long, why do I need to go to church to do the same thing? I don't need the church. So I stopped going. That season of my life was one of the most empty seasons I've ever had. And listen, I was learning more about the Bible than I'd ever learned, and yet I was empty to my core. I wonder, I wonder if some of you've been there yourself. I wish I knew how to explain this better, but what I now know and what I'm sure many of you know is that when we gather together, something mysteriously powerful happens in a gathering, a physical gathering, an ecclesia. And the only way I know how to articulate this mystery is that when you become a follower of Jesus, we are told that God's spirit, literally God, comes to dwell inside of you. The same power and spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. And listen, it lives inside of me, and it lives inside of you, and it lives inside of you, and it lives inside of you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And right now, God's spirit 
in the midst of all of us combined together, it's a mysterious power. And you can sense it and you can feel it. You just can't always describe it. And whatever campus you're on right now, if you're on a campus, you see it. You sense it right now. In fact, since, um, since we, we know now what it's like to not have a gathering, right? If you wanted to know what it's like to not have a gathering, what, what do we know? That's what we got to experience last year. If you wanted to know what happens when we don't gather, just look at what you experienced. There is not a weekend since we have regathered as a church last August that I have not met one person at CCV that's walked up to me on the weekend and said, this is my first weekend back. And listen, I was, I was, I was online, but it was not the same. Anybody else feel that way? I didn't feel it. It was not the same for me. Just last weekend, I met a woman out in the courtyard and she walked up to me and it was right before she was getting ready to walk into church and she said, Ashley, this is my very first weekend back. And then immediately she just started crying. Tears because she just the power of being back in the presence and gathering of people. There's power in a gathering. Now some of you, your, your first time back, you started crying as well, but for a different reason. It's because you got to drop off your two-year-old in our kids' classroom for the first time, right? <laughs> like, let's go, you know, you got a break. There's power. There's power in the presence of God's people. It's an ecclesia. And to speak about the power of the gathering, when I was studying, I came across, there's more than this, but I just wanna talk to you about three analogies we're given in scripture that talk about the church. And I think God's gonna use one of these to speak to someone here today so that you never ever forget what the church is and why it's so important for you to be a part of a physical gathering of the church. Here's the first analogy we see throughout scripture is the church is actually compared to a body. Okay, 11 times in scripture we're told the church is compared to a body. Let me just show you a few of them and just think about how powerful this is. Ephesians chapter five, verse 23 says this. Christ is the head of the church, watch this, his body of which he is the savior. Now if you could just, you could contemplate this for like a whole year and it would just rock your mind. The church, us, gathered together as followers of Jesus, we literally are a body. The church is the physical representation of Christ's body here on earth. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The human body has many parts. Each of us are different. We all have different parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. What's he talking about? So it is with the body of Christ. He's talking about the church. Think about the church as a body. Each of us make up a different part of the body, but together, we have to be together, unified together, we make up a body. Now here's my question. If the church is a body, if you disconnect from the body, the body of Christ, are you still a part of the body? If you, let's think about it, if you said I'm a hand or a knee or a foot or an arm, if you disconnect from the body, are you still a part of the body? Think about this. I'll just use an example. If I chopped off my hand and I left my hand at home, is it still a part of the body? No, it's just a hand. You can't look at a hand and go, look at my body, look at my body. You'd be like, that's not a body, bro, that's a limb. It's a hand. 
What do we know scientifically? Any part of the body that you cut off, if it is not immediately or quickly reconnected, what happens to it? It dies. It's drained of all life because the only way a part of the body can live and activate and grow is if it stays a part of the body. And I wanna tell someone here today, the reason you feel drained, the reason you feel lifeless is maybe because you've been disconnected and not consistent with the body of Christ. This is the analogy we're given. Isn't it so powerful to look at this analogy? Now some of you are thinking this, yeah, but I, I don't really connect too much to the church because I'm not an important part of the body. I'm like a pinky, I'm an earlobe. I'm not really needed. And I would tell you, you're dead wrong. Some of you remember a message I preached about a year ago. You remember how important the pinky is? Remember this? The pinky controls over half your grip strength. In other words, every single person is needed in the body of Christ, every person. And we're told this, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells us every part of the body is needed. And if you think you're the weak part, not needed part, listen to this, let this sink in. Paul says this, in fact, some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually what? They're actually the most necessary. And for those of you that don't think you need to be a part of the body, even a contributing part of the body, I wanna tell you you're wrong. God's giving you gifts, God's giving you abilities, and you need to be connected. You need to be connected for you to bring you life, and you need to be connected for us so that we benefit from you being a part of the body. We're all a part of the body. I would say it this, this way. When you aren't here, the body is incomplete. We are incomplete and you are incomplete. The church is a body and you're designed to be connected if you ever wanna live and thrive. That's the first analogy. Here's the second one. And this one is probably my favorite. The church in scripture is compared to a marriage. Now you're thinking marriage, like that's so weird, a little mysterious, it actually is. But we're told this really powerful analogy of the church is like a marriage. Listen to Paul talk about it and he even says it's a mystery. Watch this, Ephesians chapter five, verse 31 and 32, it says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. Now that's a mystery, right? I mean, how God brings together two people, it's kind of, some of you are like, my marriage is a mystery, all right, it really is. But it's a mystery, right? And, and so Paul even says this, he goes on to say this, this is a great mystery. But what's he talking about the mystery? He says, but it's an illustration, it's an analogy of the way Christ and the church are one. Marriage is used as an example for the church and how we are to be one with the church. Now, when I read this, and I was studying, I'm telling you, I know exactly where I was at when I was studying this, it just jumped off the page at me. Like it hit me like a ton of bricks because here's what I thought. I love with everything inside of me that we get to broadcast our services and our messages online. I love it. I love it because sometimes when some of you are traveling, you still get to stay connected and still engage. When I'm traveling and I'm not here in town, every time I am joining in online to stay connected to the church. I love it that because some of you, 
who are brand new around here, your first experience with CCV was watching us online. And the reason why is because you're like, I'm gonna check that out first before I go. I wanna see if they're drinking Kool-Aid or like, man, is something weird going on? I mean, isn't it great? I mean, you can check it out. I love it because some of you have you know, a, a child that gets sick. You can still stay, stay connected. Some of you join from out of state. That's awesome. I love that we can offer our online services and we will continue to do so. But if Christ and the church is compared to a marriage and I am to follow the example of Jesus in my connection and love for the church, here's the question. And don't answer this immediately. Think about it. Just think deeply about it. Could you have a marriage that exists 100% online? What's the answer? The answer is technically yes. I mean, if I, if I moved to Indonesia tomorrow and Jamie stayed in Phoenix and we just like FaceTimed each other the whole time, we could technically stay married, couldn't we? Like we could still stay married. But you're smart people, you're intuitive, you know this. Would we have a healthy marriage? Not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, eventually our marriage would fall apart. Why? Because as a, as a married couple, you are designed by God to be physically present with each other. And I don't even just mean sexually. I just mean when I'm away from my wife, I desire after a time to be with her, just like even in her presence. This is the analogy we're given in scripture. And God, I think, is gonna get up in someone's business today and tell you, you've been disconnected. And you wonder why you don't feel fulfilled and you don't feel like you're thriving. It's because you've become disconnected. Now listen, if, if you're online right now and you're new, you spend as much time as you need checking us out. I think it's a great way of checking out CCV. In fact, if you have friends that are a little hesitant, I think it's a great way just like, hey, check it out online. I mean, think about just relate, like this relationship analogy we have. Don't a lot of people today start dating online first? They meet online first? I mean, it's awesome. I think it's great. You know, check out someone out online. Get to know them first. Make sure they're not an ax murderer before you meet up with them. You know, I mean, that's, that's great. But don't you know that in a dating relationship, if it's just online, eventually the relationship cannot move forward unless you meet physically, face-to-face with each other? Of course, that's the way it has to happen. My wife, Jamie, her favorite movie in the world, and I'm ashamed to say, I've had to bear through this movie. She's watched it like 100 times, I'm telling you. And I've had to bear through it. She loves, she loves this movie, Who's Got Mail? Anybody else love that movie, Who's Got Mail? It's Tom Hanks, and is it Meg Ryan who's in it? And it's about a couple that just meets online, but eventually the whole movie is just about how their relationship cannot move forward until they meet physically. And I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, you cannot stay online and take your adventure relationship with Jesus to any level until you gather and be, you're together physically. You can't. And I love online. We're gonna keep doing it. Why? Because when I travel, I love FaceTiming with my wife. I love staying connected with my wife. But let's not kid ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. Technology helps keep us connected but it's not a substitute for connection. 
It is no substitute for being connected, especially to the body of Christ. So come on. Your marriage can't thrive unless you are connected to the body of Christ. Your kids can't thrive. Come on, those of you that are single, I mean, the best place to meet someone's here at church. If you're online right now, someone's sitting on in, like where you should be in your row, looking down the row, and you're not there. You could be meeting eyes with like Mr. and Mrs. Wright right now. I love this analogy of the church and a marriage because I think it's so strong. And here's why it's so important to me. Here's why it's so important to me because of the last analogy. The church is compared to a flock. The church is compared to a flock. Just listen to how, how Peter puts this in 1 Peter. He says, and now a word to those of you who are elders in the church. Who's he talking to? He's talking to me. He's talking to your campus pastor. He's talking to your associate pastor, your kids or student pastor. He's talking to your, your volunteer coach here at CCV. He's saying, listen, leaders in the church. He says, listen, I, I too am an elder. I'm also a leader and I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. I'm gonna ask you something, do what? I want you to care for the flock, to care for the church, the gathering that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, for, not, not for what you'll get out of it, but because of what you're eager to serve God. You need to know something about me, about every campus pastor, every associate pastor, every coach here. We're not in this for us. We're in this for you. Like we care for you. I care desperately for you. If you could like peer into my soul, I want so much for you. I want your marriage to thrive. I want your kids to thrive. I want your business to thrive. If you're a leader, I want you to go to heights that you never thought you could go. If you're single, I want you to be comfortable in your singleness. And if you eventually want to get married, I want that for you. But what do I know as a shepherd? The most dangerous thing with a flock is the person that leaves the herd and decides as an individual that they can exist on their own. That's when people die, is when you're separated from the pack. We know that because in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your life, and he's prowling around right now as a lion looking for anyone that will separate from the herd. Because what animals do lions go after? They go after the animal that decides, I don't need to be a part of the pack. And too many people nowadays, listen to me, too many people nowadays are thinking, I don't need the church. I can operate as an individual on my own. That is not a biblical model. That is not a biblical model. And I care about you way too much to hold any punches to tell you, just do whatever you want. If you are not here as a part of the gathering, you're weak. You're not weak because you personally are like weak. You're weak because God designed you to be a part of a physical gathering in the church. He designed that to grow. You're as only as strong as you, are, as you are connected. Hebrews puts it this way. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised 
is faithful. And let us consider how many of you spur each other on towards love and good deeds. You, you wanna be spurred on? You wanna grow in your faith? Watch this. Not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging each other, one another, all the more as the day is approaching. You know what COVID did for so many of us? It got us in a habit, a bad habit, of not being a part of a physical gathering. Listen, if you need to be online or away for church because you're traveling out of town, get it. You're sick, understand. You physically have a medical thing, get it. But for everyone else here, don't you dare give up the habit of gathering together and the power power of the church. I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today. Here's my challenge. In your faith, you will stop growing when you aren't a part of the gathering. It is the biblical model, period. So here's my challenge, twofold. I want you to make a commitment. I'm going to be really specific. I want you to commit today to say this. I commit to always being at church, the gathering, unless I'm out of town or medically unable. Not one out of four weeks, not Christmas, Easter, and a few weekends in between. Every single week, you will commit to being a part of the gathering. And my challenge for you is to do that for three months over the summer. You need to get back in a habit. And I know some of you are traveling over the summer, join in online, but when you're here, when you're here, Be present. But I don't want you to just be present. What else? I want you to also commit to taking your next step to contribute to the church. Like I'll commit to not just being present, but contributing because as a part of the body, we need everybody. You may need to start serving or getting into a group. You need to take your next step. We're we're not gonna stop challenging you. We want what's best for you. We're in this for you. The foundation of your life has to be built on the truth of who Jesus is and his church. You have to be a part of the church. It has to be the foundation of your life. And so what I wanna do is, as we close today is I wanna sing one last song that just talks about building your life on the foundation of who Jesus is and then committing, committing to the gathering his church, it's the only way your marriage, your life, your relationships, your kids, your business will thrive is when you commit. So let's, let's stand to our feet on all of our campuses. Let's join our band as they join the stage. Let's, let's worship together. Let me, let me pray for us. God, as the band joins, I wanna pray that as we sing this song that you would help someone here today to commit to whatever you're challenging them to do. And God, as we, as we commit Would we understand that you gave us the church, not for your benefit, God, for ours. You love us. You want us to thrive, but we can't thrive disconnected from your body, the body of Christ. And so give us the courage and boldness today to take whatever step you're calling us to. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.